Big Fluff. <coughs> you won't hurt me this time, will you? Not do what you did the last time? your decision. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And oh my goodness, we are looking at the worst and most uh, outlandish movies of 2022 as we kick off the year that is 2023. And oh, Joel, you (laughs) magnificent bastard. Uh, (laughs) We watched... Blonde, uh, the fictional I think that was biopic. Clear. That was clear from the clip, right? I mean, that's very obvious. A Marilyn Monroe biopic, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and here to to talk about it with us, we have a special guest, uh, Sophie Strauss, who is a stylist for regular people. Sophie, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you guys for bringing me into the fold here. Also, we're sorry. Like apologies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is bringing me into the fold like a weird reference to how many times we go inside of Marilyn Monroe's vagina in this movie? Because... Right? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It's... yeah. There are a lot of choices made. I'll give the movie that. Like, Except in the editing room. Well, yes. Yeah. What? Just under three hours, this movie. Yeah, there is there is a maybe hour 45 worth of footage in this movie, and it is stretched out for almost half of a work day (laughs) also three hours couldn't find time for just like one scene where she loves her life or job no time for not once no it was also weird to me because for how long it was i was struck by how short any actual like moment was right you're like man i'm lingering on this rose or this you know, plate or her hand. But like, I'd love to see a little more time with Arthur Miller. <laughs> right. Well, and and just the weird choices of three hour biopic. We don't see how she's discovered. We never see her like, I don't know, working on choreography. Yeah. Her two <laughs> marriages are just sort of almost hand waved past. It's like, this is Dimaggio. This is Arthur Miller. Uh, we don't talk about her first marriage when she was 16. Like, and then it's just, yeah, everything is, like you said, a lot of close-ups of hands, lots of father's portraits on cracked walls. Just, yeah, a lot of aesthetic. <sighs> it's yeah, worth, this... I think, saying that it's technically, and this is a creative liberty that I think they're really hiding behind, it is technically a movie adaptation of a fiction imagination of what her life maybe was sort of suspended between actual historical moments. Yeah. Joyce Carol Oates uh, novel that came out in the like, I think like 2001, it was early 2000s. Yep. Uh, Yeah. It's based on that and not fact. A rare misstep for Joyce Carol Oates. (laughs) (laughs) You know, well-respected figure in the literary world. And uh, then there's this. Yep. What was so funny is when I was sort of doing like, because, it, all right, if this, we want to talk about a silver lining of a, a maligned movie. Oh, you can save, me... you can save those for the end if you want, but if you want to get into it now. Oh, okay. Can. Well, I was, this isn't really one, but I okay. was just going to say, like, it made me like read more about Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And it just brought up this hilarious quote from Joyce Carol Oates, which was that she, I guess, was very critical. And there's this quote from her and I'm going to butcher it, but it's essentially her saying that like, She's really disgusted that Arthur Miller 
wrote about Marilyn and his relationship. And then that was really an invasion of privacy. And I love the gall of like (laughs) saying that, but like creating the book that inspired this movie that was clearly also like a tremendous exploitative invasion of privacy. (laughs) How dare he take their real relationship and write it down? You just make it up and put it down on paper. How, (laughs) How dare an author write what he knows? Yeah. And reflect on the experiences of his life. What a monster. (laughs) Man, this movie was a lot. It was. And nothing at the same time. And absolutely nothing. (laughs) I don't even know, because normally, like, we kind of do a recap at the beginning, but I don't even know how to do that for this movie. Like, I mean, it's Marilyn Monroe's life, but as you said, it's a very fictionalized version. I guess just, like, the thing that... I really want to say as we try to like set it up for everyone is it's just sadness. Like it is just three hours of her life was terrible. She was sad all the time. I think she cries in just about every scene pretty much like everything makes her cry. Yeah. Yeah. Her eyes are shrink wrapped in tears the entire movie. Yeah. It's also like. It's such a sort of like masturbatory um it like bring brings up that thing that i think like you kind of maybe feel sometimes watching like any of the recent britney spears documentaries where you're like even the people with the best of intentions who want to sort of like talk about this really like misunderstood exploited figure and even like i think the recent britney documentaries that like undeniably ushered in the possibility for her to be at least like shifted into a different conservatorship or have it ended or whatever, which was good. But ultimately, like you're still kind of exploiting Britney without her permission because she can't be involved in those documentaries. And like, similarly, I sort of, and Britney feels like maybe a 21st century, the closest thing we have in this century to that, like Marilyn Monroe figure. And you're like, they're like, I don't know if there's any. Thing that isn't going to be somewhat exploitative of her because we she's not here and there's so little from her directly that to really go off of to like let us know what her wishes would have been so it's like you end up with this thing but my god I mean you could have gotten a little closer to not like this is <laughs> this is like borderline like torture porn yeah yeah and it's just like <laughs> It kind of is bizarre in how it doesn't even do the thing like biopics have become such a industry and there's such a formula to it. But it's like the things that you would imagine would be in there. They they don't have it all, which, again, I I think the biggest one, you don't see her get discovered like you don't see her even as a kid. She doesn't like watch movies and like look up at the screen and want to be up there. It's just her mom trying to kill her is the only part of her childhood that we get. And isn't the rest of her life just her mom trying to kill her the whole time? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's no, the, it's, it is weird that like, I, I mean, I guess that you could say a reasonable theme of Marilyn Monroe's life and career is that she didn't have any agency over what she was doing. But man, this movie takes away every ounce of independence and agency from the Marilyn Monroe fictional character. Um, And yeah, it's just she's such a just passenger in her own life in this movie. And it is like it was hard. It was a tough watch. Well, and it, it goes out of its way to also then ignore things that don't support that idea like. The fact that when she went to New York and when she meets Arthur Miller is that she was starting her own production company and like studying with Lee Strasberg and trying to be taken seriously, which I think you could still examine, you know, what happened when she tried to do that. But it's just like, no, we're not going to talk about any of that. Like, that doesn't help her be sad and, you know, agentless. That doesn't fit our narrative. Yeah. Well, and that's really the thing, I think, too, is like. Again, they have the shield of being able to hide behind like, well, this is fiction, right? Like this isn't actually just a straight up historical sort of like we're not just bringing history to life here. There's there's creative liberties that we're taking and boy, do they take them. But I think what's frustrating in general, and I don't know, I actually recently like also was listening to the you must remember this like 
I'm on episode like one and a half of the three part Marilyn sort of series, which is, I think, really like well done. And unsurprisingly, Karina Longworth is like pretty good about, you know, being like, this is what we don't know. And this is what I do know. And this is where you really feel like her biographer's hand coming in to like push their agenda. And I don't know. And I appreciated that sort of honesty. But obviously, it's a podcast, it's a different format. But like, Everything out there about Marilyn, because obviously there's also like the et- the Etsyfication of like Marilyn on posters, and she's this sort of become like the the basic bitches idol too in this way that like you know I mean I remember and I've been out of the dating game for a while, but like swiping on Tinder back in the day where like dudes profiles would say like if Marilyn Mo- Monroe is your favorite, like you're such you know that clearly you don't like watch enough movies, right? Like it's like uncool to think Marilyn is cool because she's so. You, right. She's such an icon. She's the, the live, laugh, love of uh... to- literally like that's I think that's really the thing. And what's so interesting is that in that sort of like the live, laugh, love of her, she got kind of girl bossed like the pendulum swung hard where she went from like there's stuff about her just like 100 percent just tragic victim. And then there's like, no, actually, she was like totally girl bossing her girl boss way through <laughs> girl boss dumb and just happened to like end super tragically where she, you know, kills herself or overdoses or whatever. And it's like, what what about the reality that's clearly somewhere in the middle? And like this movie is so far to the sort of she was just this tragic figure. And it's like. To the point where they actually make her so tragic and such a fool, right? Like she's such a fool in this in a way that's like painful to watch, right? She can't carry, she can't have a conversation with anybody. No. And that is so against everything we know about this person who, I mean, you know, lines that she wrote uh, for, for movies, but also just interviews with her, even when she was playing this character she created of Marilyn, right? Even to sort of have... You know, what do you wear to bed? Well, I wear Chanel number five or, you know, I'm right. You have to be kind of brilliant to like, like I wouldn't come up with that on the yeah. spot. I mean, I'm going to come up with the shit that she thought of, right? Like you have to be smart and quick. And she's a really, I mean, if you've watched anything, she's a brilliant comedic actress. Like she's yes. fucking funny. Yeah. And this movie is humorless. Oh my God. Utterly. <laughs> well, and yeah, then there's and- like the, the, the scene where uh, it's like, I guess, the meet cute with her and Arthur Miller um, where like she shows this really just trenchant insight onto his plays and comparing them to the three sisters and everything. Uh, and it's almost like, Oh, we're going to actually give Marilyn Monroe a little bit of credit. Oh no, we're not No, It's nope. She's just a doll that he's now purchasing. Okay. Well, and I, all right, I think, let's go. I think the thing that really got me too, and I think this kind of gets, and I like Anna de Armas. I want to say that up front too, but of just like, I don't think she or the movie captured what was liked about Marilyn Monroe, why she was such a big star. Like, I don't think you ever saw even that side of it of just like, like even when they showed the movie clips in the theaters, like it never felt like you never got that sense of this person is a phenomenon. And again, it doesn't do the biopic stuff where it's like, I don't know, she's driving around town seeing billboards or people are recognizing her or anything. It's just like, never actually captures either her interiority and like what she's like when she's not the character, but it also doesn't capture the character. (laughs) So it's like, or the time, like, yeah, you know, she was such, she was such a product of that moment, right? This post-war, um, right. She was not a femme fatale because she was this like comfortable cotton candy, embodiment of sex for men who had just been in danger to come home to right this is sex but it's safe yeah this is this is she's the wife and the mistress and she's got no father and no mother and so she comes from nowhere so she can be anybody's and she's and like there's no this movie doesn't do anything in any direction at all Period. Like there's we don't get the history. We don't get any sort of glimpse into her. Like there's nothing. <laughs> well, you, you can't tell if the filmmakers love the subject, hate the subject. I, I think they hate the audience. Yeah. I think Andrew Dominic hates the audience. I think that's <laughs> abundantly clear. Uh, but <laughs> but beyond that, like. It's just. You know, it's like, oh, right. She was in Gentlemen Prefer Blonde, so we should probably show a clip of that. 
And let's do the exact same scene where it's her watching the premiere of her movie in the same theater with the giant screen and the stage. And then we'll show those scenes. Let's do that five times identically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which the first time they did it, I was even like, oh, this is a cool shot. Like, I, I don't yeah. think that I've seen this exact theater shot before. And then it was like, oh, well, you will make me tired of this. But and then the second time I was like, I've seen this exact shot before. <laughs> Which I guess that's another thing, too, that we should talk about is. I mean, there's definitely like a, a real this is an art film feel to this movie of it's trying a lot of different styles. There was. A switch to black and white that I I gave a good faith effort to try to understand why it was using black and white, but it never seemed to have any logic to it. The the thing that I could like come the closest to wrapping my head around is that he really wanted to link her life to her movies, and some of her movies were in color. <laughs> And some of her movies were in black and white. And I think that's also like you see that sometimes with like aspect ratio shifts and like, yeah. you know, and also trying to mirror like whatever was going on narratively in her life with what's going on narratively in a movie, except that we never get enough of a sense of narratively what's going on in either to actually right. make that connection. <laughs> no, and I think that's what it is, is like it's black and white. OK, I'm trying to make sense of this, but there's not enough context to understand why this scene you chose that, except to your point of like, yeah, we have to mix it up. It has to look different from scene to scene. But it's no there, it's really hard to track why, you know, I don't know. Why is this scene about roses like short right. roses like, now? <laughs> like, why? Why are we using really soft focus in this scene and then just super crisp imagery in this scene? And it, in, in some ways, it felt like this wasn't so much an adaptation of the Joyce Carol Oates book as it was an adaptation of the Wikipedia synopsis <laughs> of the Joyce Carol Oates book. What well, also just had that weird feeling of like an exquisite corpse type of we hired 10 different directors to make this movie and then piece together what they shot. <laughs> yeah. The only reason I'll stop you on that, Joel, is that we've watched a movie where that happened, which was the uh, the David Niven um, Casino Royale. And yes. that has much more coherence, much more coherence than this movie. And this is about as straightforward a narrative as you could make if you did it. Yeah. Well, that's the, there's no there's no trajectory, right? There's no there's no drive. I mean, you you know, Andy, you said it right. She's just a passenger on this ride of terror through an, a miserable existence, and she's so palpably miserable all the time. And and I think you know you sort of mentioned right that she became you know the the scene with arthur miller or whatever or where they meet you know she becomes this sort of doll to him but i think that's what the whole movie feels like with andrew dominic right is like this is marilyn is it's it like and and maybe there's like a super galaxy brain explanation about like it being the point that like we're all exploiting her again haha ha, he got us but i don't think that's this no. right i don't it yeah. doesn't feel like it like it feels like he took this figure and played dress up with her and boy you know i actually haven't seen Anadarmus and anything else like I haven't seen Knives Out I'll admit I know I'm embarrassed it's really good you should watch it it's good I know I should I should and and everything I've heard about her is that she's like delightful in it and boy is she acting in this like it's it's just bad casting like she's giving it her all and I like I I don't fault her for it at all she has nothing to work with too well yeah it's it's a I think it's a bad combination of everything is like I don't think that she's the right casting for this I don't think there's anything to play um, yeah, it just all isn't working. And it really is. It's again, it's like you're kind of saying maybe it's supposed to be about explaining. But I just kind of had that sense, too, of watching it of like she had to film all this stuff. And it's just terrible scene after terrible scene and abuse after abuse. And the way it's filmed is kind of exploitive. And it's just very like it just seems terrible all around. It feels like it was terrible to make. It's terrible to watch. Like, it's just bad. Well, I also like we're talking about how it's filmed, too. I mean, I know we're talking about like, don't worry, darling, is something that's like ostensibly feminist and and maybe isn't. And and at least that has sort of female filmmakers behind it who who maybe could do it, you know, doesn't mean it's not a sure thing. But something like this, you're like the whole point of 
what Marilyn, I mean, there's a lot of tragedies about her life, but sort of the whole point, right, is that she was this like male lens, male gaze, male whatever, right? She was shot exclusively by men because of course that's who was making movies at the time. She was photographed by men. She, and her persona in a way that she was unbelievably aware about, and we know that, right? That's like a known thing was crafted because she knew that she needed to be appealing to men, right? She was so savvy about that. And if there's, if there's what, what new anything did he bring to the conversation here that either like challenges that or complicates it or operate, like the perspective is also so like lecherous and, and like, you know, gleeful in, in how much we have to watch her both suffer and be sexy. Right. Yeah. And then yeah, it, it's it, oh, there's ahead. well, there's just like there's no moments of of joy, like of any sort of positive when she's married. There, there's never like any sex scenes with her husbands that are joyous or like anything that's like, you know, just sort of her actually having a moment where she which, again, maybe someone would say, well, that's the point or whatever. But it's just every scene uh, where she is sexualized is terrible. She's being abused. She's being assaulted. It's just all of this over and over again without any joy, except I guess the closest that it gets is this imagined thruple that she's in. But then even they end up exploiting her. So, yeah. Yeah, it's this whole thing. It, it would have been probably the safer story to say that, oh, she was very much canny and crafting this image. and then. You know, sort of Frankenstein's monster style, the creation turns on the creator and everything goes to hell, which I think is probably pretty close to how it played out in real life is that she was smart enough and created this image, but it got away from her. And then she was being abused, you know, being having drugs pushed on her, all of that and, you know, murdered by this the uh, Secret Service, you know, all the things that everybody knows happened to Marilyn Monroe very clearly. Um, But this movie doesn't it's weird, like what salacious aspects of her life this movie just ignores totally i learned nothing no yeah (laughs) (laughs) i did well so okay we've pretty much set up that it doesn't really introduce anything new but i will push back on that in one regard because there was one thing that it did that i have not seen in a movie before and uh if you guys would indulge me Father, 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 daddy, 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 father, father yeah thank you to youtube uh the i'm trying to find it it was the mostly wrong opinions youtube channel for that supercut of every time the word father or daddy is said (sighs) in the film which is a lot i is that only part one yeah (laughs) Yeah, that was just in the first 40 minutes yeah (laughs) i also felt like my god you know like Reading and learning about her and whatever, it is like very clear that like the the lack of a father figure was like absolutely something that came up in her life and was like, you know, a hole that she was trying to fill with a bunch of different things and and had a lot of implications in terms of what her dynamic with men was. But like if any of us have ever known anybody with daddy issues, which I'm sure all of us have or are ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a little more subtle. Yeah, <laughs> it's it not doesn't. Like every man who crosses your path, you're like, Papa. Yeah, it's it doesn't usually manifest itself in literally calling all men daddy in every conversation. I mean, I do that, but I'm just a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Sophie and daddy, what do you think about? <laughs> so uncomfortable. Like, it's just it's so like it's there's so something wrong. about it. It's that's just, just yeah, it's. Yeah. My husband is literally a father and I'm not we I don't even call him daddy like that's because yeah, well, no. you're not part of the Pence family. So that, that tracks. <laughs> a 
we going to talk about the abortions? I mean, sure. Yeah. <laughs> no Which, time by like the, the way, president. For whatever it's worth, there's no proof that she's had that she had any. There is like proof that she had multiple miscarriages. And as we know, miscarriage medical yeah. care is effectively abortion care. So right. I'll, I'll ride for that. Sure. Um, <laughs> as somebody who watched this within two weeks of having an abortion myself, uh, it was so like, I just guess I had to laugh. Like, I would say like, oh, I was super offended. And like, sure, it's it's offensive on on like every level, but just across the board as, as a movie. So it, yeah. it came as no surprise. But watching somebody who is undeniable, like like for sure, max, like six to eight weeks pregnant, having conversations with a fetus that we are then shown as what a fetus looks like at like a third trimester 36 point. weeks something yeah, like, like that a 36 weeks fetus which like again gets into the like truly ultimately do i really care what the fetus looks like at you know when somebody makes a choice for their body in their life no but my god is it so so horribly inaccurate and it's not just like oh but creative liberties it's like it really is like fucking harmful and yeah. i don't know not to oh, be like no. a kill joy but it really oh. that was a huge but i don't think you're killing any joy i think that needs to be <laughs> said like this you know like they've they've taken like a lot of movies have taken this oblique like well, this is really seems to be anti-abortion whether it's juno or any number of movies or saved or movies like that um that Maybe, but like this movie just seems virulently anti-abortion. Oh, yeah. No, it is super pro-life. And again, I I don't even know what to make of its politics because the idea that it's the same baby again, as you said, like it's a fully developed like fetus that we see. But it's also like it it's I'm the same kid every time. I don't even know what they're going for, but it is definitely like it feels very I mean, just by the sheer slanted. fact that it's different fathers each time, it's a genetic impossibility for it to be the same kid. <laughs> well, I'm also, also curious, do we know, like, have we, is there like a side by side list of like what in this, like, is her talking to her fetus like that in the Joyce Carol Oates book? Is that a, oh, a Liberty the Movie takes? I'm just curious because not that it really matters, but I do think it's sort of like what, whatever, not... I've seen women come up with horrible narratives around abortion as well. I'm just curious, is is this a male invented abortion narrative or is this a female invented well, abortion narrative? That's like something I, that came to mind. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've not read the Joyce Carol Oates book, nor have I read the Wikipedia synopsis as Andrew Dominic clearly <laughs> did. Um, but my the what just from what I've read, like about everything around this is I think the Joyce Carol Oates book heavily implied that a lot of her miscarriages were um like intentional abortions rather than you know uh health care just I, that seems weird like parsing it out like that but like it was like someone's like oh you're not having that baby and we're you know so we're gonna say you had a miscarriage sure. um it's it was more along those lines i think the angle that the joyce carol Oates book took this movie just heightens that move to the, even the next level um well i think and, he and he started reading the joyce carol Oates book and then fell asleep and then look who's talking came on because it definitely <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think we know right like we know that she was like it was very encouraged for her to get divorced from her first husband when she was going into show business because not because it was like, well, you need to be sexually available and men need to understand that. But it was like, well, the assumption is that you'll get pregnant and then your career would be over and the studios won't want you. So I think we do know whether or not it was like super direct or it was just like a, a pressure that female starlets at this time or stars or whatever were under a, a lot of pressure to not have babies until their careers were over when they were disgusting in 35. And you know, uh, I right. right yeah. I, I hope I hope I hope the humor. I mean, no, that's yeah. Fun, but, oh no, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, thirty-five. And, I mean, let's yeah, be honest. Thirty. Yeah, God, yeah, 30, come on. Exactly. 30. <laughs> Although I will say it was interesting to note that doesn't this doesn't come up at all that Marilyn was actually like very much in her late twenties to early thirties when at the height of her career. It wasn't yes. like the the nineties and two thousands here where like you had to be eighteen playing thirty two married to sixty. So right. Um, 
it was that that I think is sort of interesting. Um, but that I'm like totally prepared for her to be like really bummed about having an abortion and like 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 it, I think from what we know, right? Like she did want to have babies, and yeah. like I I'm comfortable. Right. That is the idea of of choice that like I know lots of people who have had abortions and are really sad about them or right. Like that's that's part of the the myriad of experiences here. But like the way that this is and and the way it's depicted and the going in her vagina twice is a lot for what for for why? Yeah, Yeah. The one the one scene in like the medical theater is just offensive. Like as as a film as it's unoriginal as a filmmaker, it's just incredibly anti-woman. It's it's just dripping with the most misogyny. And it doesn't add to the narrative, doesn't add to anything in the movie. It is it is the equivalent of Howard Stern appearing as fart man. It's just there to be dumb and offensive. And it it's it sucks, and I hate it. It does definitely have that feel of, like, those... When they do the truly offensive film festivals or whatever. You know, those sort of things where it's, like, someone makes a movie that there's, like, this is the most horrifying. Like, it has that feel of there's no other possible justification except that you wanted to horrify people by this. Which I think is then weird that... You know, uh, Andrew Dominic had the like nerve to be shocked that this got an NC-17 rating where he was like, what? Where it's like, really? <laughs> like- <laughs> that has to be fake. Can we have a moment for the world's most generic dialogue? Sure, sure. I mean, like that opening. So, OK, so technically the opening scene is like a flash forward to the seven year itch. Right. Sort of, you know, extremely, you know, theatrical version of the seven year itch photo shoot slash filming moment, which we know to be like a really uh, that moment in her relationship with Joe DiMaggio was like a big turning point and all of that stuff. Like it was a big deal in a million in a million ways. But then we go back to her childhood um, where it's like. The most like, I don't know, like st- student film. I mean, that's mean to student no. films. Like, well, yeah, yeah. Let's I think it's worth it to zero in on. So, yeah. So it's Norma Jean's birthday. I don't remember what year, like how old she is, but it's it's her birthday. Her mom is clearly like going through the DTs. Her hands are shaking. She carries a cake. And sets it in front of her. And then immediately before the candles are even blown out, she's pouring herself a glass of alcohol to drink. And then that's when we get the cracked wall, you know, a portrait covering a cracked wall. The the portrait is also messed up, but it the frame is immaculate, you know, and it's just <laughs> it's, the- and it's like that. That's your dad. Like, I have a present for you. That's your daddy. And then like. Don't look at like like an immediate freak out. But everything, there's not a moment of like specificity to any kind of conversation. Everything is the most like like I don't know. In 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 another life, I I was like a songwriter, and I think like when you're like first writing songs, you're like, well, if people want to know I'm sad, I'm gonna say I'm sad. (laughs) And then you're like, man, there's nothing to actually latch on to there because it's so. Right. Like sadness is like a very big concept. And you're like, people actually relate to like a couple details sometimes, like a couple specifics to a situation or a person. And maybe even if they haven't lived my exact life, that my imbuing it not excessively with detail, but with like a specific might actually ground this in something that feels relatable as opposed to isolating. And instead it's Marilyn and she's like, aren't you sometimes so sad? Mm-hmm. And then my daddy, are you my daddy? <laughs> my daddy's here. Oh, I think it's my daddy. Is it my dad? Like it's the most generic, useless, like nothing, nothing to sink your teeth into. There's nothing to add color. Like it's a nothing. Yeah. yeah. Like this movie, the scene that we played for the opening clip is memorable (laughs) just because of how bananas it is and exploitive because the voice of the fetus is the actress that plays her as a child. 
Oh, <gasps> I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah. So that's well, just well wrong. Caught. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, I, but I, I also, too, just a, like the other thing with that scene, the opening scene, in addition to being super generic and everything you said, I, I completely agree with. I also watch it. It goes on forever. And then it cuts to when they they're getting in the car to drive towards this fire. And then it hit me that we probably spent 10 minutes on this b- sad birthday. And then the f- the drive towards the fire and the dialogue with the cop pretty much established everything that that opening scene did that she's drunk that the dad is an imaginary person that's like beyond this like so it just had this also repetitive feel to it that we're now essentially covering the same material but more dynamically bless you bless you (laughs) that's okay yeah how dare you i know we're back in (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but everything did that, right? Like, at at what point in the movie, like, really, you get about, you get to, like, a couple minutes into her, like, being an adult, and you've learned everything you'll learn for the whole movie, which is that she's sad, and she is a little bit promiscuous, and she wants a dad. Mm -hmm. And she's at the mercy of every other human being in her life. In her life. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And yeah, and you even get the mom some more later as an adult. Uh, Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just hitting the same notes over and over again, which again, as a songwriter, that's a thing you don't do is just (laughs) literally play the same note over and over again. (laughs) Yeah, it's um, it's terrible. Um, I will say, and perhaps this will be my segue Unless I shouldn't. No, I think we're probably good. I don't know if anyone has anything specific they want to mention, but I think we're about at that point. I, I have some some one thing that's sort of in the yeah. liminal space yeah, yeah, yeah. between the up. two. Uh, so this show is is oftentimes bolstered by the wonderful website IMDb, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know because it's just it's a great resource and uh, pay us IMDb for talking about you. Um, but anyways, there's like four IMDb trivia points that are just about Harvey Weinstein for this movie. What? It doesn't like it talks about Brad Pitt producing it. And then it talks about Harvey Weinstein being a horrible producer that uh, sexually assaulted actresses, much like producers sexually assaulted Marilyn Monroe. It's so weird. I did have a moment where I saw Brad Pitt's name come up in the credits and I was kind of like, oh, really? Like, yeah. Why? <laughs> well, because it's yeah, because it's plan B, right? I saw that at the top. Yeah, of it and right, like, right, right. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Also, I think there is something to be said for trying, like anybody, right? Anybody on the planet trying to make anything about a person who was like really like significantly singular in like, we're talking about somebody who's like recognition just by her face alone is like, maybe like, I think it's like Mickey Mouse and like. I don't even like Elvis. It's like the three of them. And that's it. Like, it's like there's a level of, of stardom and and a level uh, where it's like it's it's always more than the right. The sum of the sum is greater than right. you know whatever. I can't remember the expression. Yeah. Without hyperbole, Marilyn Monroe is an icon. Yeah. Like like beyond and and. That as much as it can be like, right, I, there are there were better actresses. There are better actresses now. There are people who like you might argue in the subjective world of beauty are more beautiful, are funnier, are more this, are more that. But there is like something about the way that all of the bits of her existence came together in this moment, in this way, on screen, on in photos. Right. And, and if you sort of hear. I don't know, in her history, right? Like it is a series of her standing out over and over again for this sort of je ne sais quoi. Yeah. And and that is like, I think you hear that oftentimes about about stars, right? There, that there's obviously the talent or the whatever, but there's also just this like sparkle and right, the Hollywood it factor or whatever. And it's like, I don't know if anybody in history has had that, like she clearly had it. And so it's like impossible to try to make anything where you're like, recreating her as a person right the way she moved was so like that's that's as much a part of why she was what she was as the acting or the the history or her background right like how do you even like it was an impossible task to begin with and then boy did they fall short (laughs) right 
Well, and in addition to all of that, too, we've also just been making things about Marilyn Monroe longer than she was alive at this point. Like she's been gone longer than she was alive. And there's been countless things. And so just to find any territory that it's uncovered and yeah, to also the idea of just yeah trying to capture someone that was so singular and to find something unique to say about them is an impossible task that this in no good. way rose to. And as a silver lining, good thing Andrew Dominic didn't even try. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Did also, not endeavor to, he's like, you know what? I can't break new ground here, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna offend some folks and call it a day. <laughs> also, I mean, silver lining possibly that he sure spent Netflix's money. Like, that's just like, might be the most expensive looking Netflix movie I've ever seen, just in but terms also, of- also, like, there are so many things, and and in reading interviews, particularly with the with the um, costume designer Jennifer Johnson, like it's clear this was like fast product. Like, she, I know she had four weeks from like when she started to when they were basically like rolling. And there's also all these little moments where it's like she's driving up. Um, I don't remember whose house she was going to. Maybe maybe it was Joe DiMaggio's house or something. And it's like clearly a Los Angeles street, right? And there's just like a parking sign on one of the lampposts where I'm like, man, and it's like so, it like stuck out so much to me where I'm just like, man, like this movie is so about the aesthetic. And it's like, <laughs> it's like that really is taking me out. Like, was there it's really like, two hour parking? And <laughs> But there's also, yeah, uh, that you can park on this side of the street every even Thursday for two hours between 6 and 8 a.m. <laughs> right. We should so, also be clear, know. she's driving a Tesla in the scene. Just yeah, to, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's on a hoverboard. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we could probably uh, pivot. And I think that, that maybe that's a great place to start is that you've already kind of mentioned, uh, you know, the costume designer. And yeah. The, yeah. I think if there's anything redeemable about this, honestly, and, and again, I don't fault like I think I fault like Joyce Carol Oates and Andrew Dominic, but. Everybody else involved, I'm maybe except Brad Pitt. I don't know. I'm like, you know what? You I did. have some questions for Brad Pitt. Yeah, I have questions for Brad Pitt. But like <laughs> Anna de Armas, like she is giving this her all. I don't know if anybody here watches The Bachelor, but her face is so identical to a former contestant, Becca Martinez, that I had a hard time like not seeing that. <laughs> um, but the costume designer, Jennifer Johnson, I think did as well as like I've ever seen it done It without having access or or really wanting like i sort of did some research and reading about her talking about these choices and and it was interesting because their filming of this or at least the sort of release and and post production was was not far from kim kardashian wearing the the mr kennedy dress which by the way we is a moment we don't get to see if i'm not mistaken right um and uh oh well, I appreciated their portrayal of JFK. I'll give them that. Yeah, I <laughs> that mean, was it was it was a strong choice. Like, it was strong. Yeah, yeah. I, that that like made me. Ch- that was like the only moment where I like it was a moment of levity. I was like, huh, yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't. I didn't like the scene, but I was like, yeah, that's pretty fun. That it's. I, I appreciate how not generous it was with him. But yeah, yeah. Um, and I. It's important to point out that this is now the second movie we've watched for this podcast where a sitting president has received a hand job so which is a weird <laughs> fact and the the strangest thing about it too is the fact that the other one involved uh two cousins and was still less upsetting than this scene <laughs> this was very upsetting yeah and, yeah um but but going back to the costumes i think that there's this thing which is you know we're talking about one of the most seen people in history and and seen in a way that was like never really separate from what she was wearing or not wearing. And that she had this thing, too, which I think is really important, which is that like Marilyn never felt like she was being worn by her clothes. Right. That like you don't remember her. You remember what she was wearing, but you remember Marilyn. Right. Like you're not like a, the the seven year itch dress, the. Uh, gentlemen prefer blondes, pink, you know, diamonds are a girl's best friend dress. And and uh, all these other sort of the even even the new JFK dress, which they don't show in the movie. Um, she wore the shit out of that stuff. Right. Yeah. And 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 
so it's some of it was the choices um you know uh the seven year itch dress for example was designed by like one of the costume designers at the time um william trivia bill trivia um and he i mean just an iconic 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 costume designer and i think that these are all things that could have either looked like a cost like looked like a costume right if you're not going to do them or that you do them really historically accurately in remaking them in a way that like really feels like they're wearing anadarmus as opposed to like the other way around and i have to say that like except for maybe the diamonds are a girl's best friend pink dress that just like and i didn't seem comfortable in how she moves like she doesn't feel like a dancer in the way that i think you know marilyn like and just stars of that time had to be that sort of triple threat or at least be able to like lip sync well enough to convince somebody that they could sing to lip sync well enough for marnie nixon to actually yeah. record the audio <laughs> and you know so it's like that dress sort of stuck out to me where i'm like oh that, she's wearing that dress but that dress really feels like a lot on her you know everything else really felt like ex- there there was sort of a like i think a beautiful job done by the costume designer jennifer johnson in cap in when it wasn't like a hundred percent accurate to the thing that's known in the moment which by the way most of the things really were i mean most of the outfits that she, they wore were like looked like carbon copies at least to me but if but i know that they weren't and i think the fact that they still felt like carbon copies is a testament to how well they sort of replicated these outfits without having it become like something that just chewed up the scene, right? You're like, oh, she's wearing that dress. You know, it was like you could still sort of be in the horrible moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even in the scenes where she's not in some of her iconic outfits, like when she's wearing the serious actor black wool sweater, like it's it's very well done. And when she's like, the big lounge sweater when she's at home with Arthur Miller, like all that, like the costume design is one of the areas where there was a ton of attention to detail. And I feel like that there's a lot of places we will not see this movie come award season, but I feel like that's probably one of the areas where we might. And justified. Absolutely. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And I think one of the things that was the most interesting sort of hearing about, because uh, again, one of the most defining things about Marilyn Monroe is her body. And, um, which is often true of a lot of right actors and right female actors, especially, um, especially at the time, but even now, and she, you know, Anna Darmus does not have the same body. Nobody no. has the same body, but, right. but Anna Darmus is not close. Right. And, and, right. And, and, um, I think that they did a nice job too. like, my understanding is there were no prosthetics used. It, there was some, you know, careful undergarment work with a little bit of light padding to add some fullness to her figure because that was very much part of who she was. I also think the other thing that's that's interesting is like I'm um, a big Mad Men fan, <laughs> especially for the costumes. And I actually know uh, Janie Bryant quite well, who's just like a genius of sort of period costuming. And I know that 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 era it's like a two hour process just to get in the underwear, right? Like, and that that's why when you see like a less, uh, a lower budget film or something that's period, that doesn't look quite right. Like nine times out of 10, it's because they did the underwear wrong. And so even though all the clothes are period and right, they don't hang on the body in the same way because they're wearing a bra that's not quite from the era and it doesn't quite create the shape. That, that doesn't have two traffic cones yeah, as, yeah. as so, the cups. But so what's interesting is Jennifer Johnson is interviewed saying that they actually had to make the like hard decision to not go full Maryland traffic cone because it was so distracting. <laughs> it was like so ridiculous on Anna in a way that I think on Marilyn, even when you look back and watch it, you see her body, you don't see traffic cones. And on Anna, it's like, you're like, what are these points? Whatever. So they they kind of softened the shape. And that's like, I think that they did a beautiful job of that, where it was like they found a way to still make it look like her. I thought she looked totally period. She doesn't look like Marilyn Monroe, but it looked like her body. Right. I, I bought that it was of that moment. Um and I also really thought in the costumes more than anything, right? More than the writing, more than the directing. That was really the only place that I saw reflected the difference between Marilyn and Norma Jean. 
Yes. Right. That that yeah. we see that she is actually that her interior life is different than her public persona, whereas like the way that she's actually written and acted and directed is an equal mess, disaster, fool, bombshell, met, whatever, all at once. Except in the costumes where really it was like, no, in her in, in her private life, she's you know, comfortable and classic and subdued and sort of demure. And then in her public life, she knows when she's putting on Marilyn and everything else told us that she doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Which even like, I really wanted that scene with, with Joe DiMaggio's family to like lean into that more. Like there were just moments where it was like, these feel like the opportunities to show like, okay, what is she like when she's not, where she's going to eat raw spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah. Like her whole background isn't that she was super poor and had to take care of herself because she was an orphan. And now we're supposed to believe that like, that's not a bit that she's genuinely like thinks that you eat pasta raw. Like, right. Yeah. She's never had spaghetti in the orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> but we're in the silver well, linings. That was, that was my fault. Oh, I, yeah, I no, did that to us, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know what? The, there's the one, I think that like, the design in the movie in a lot of areas is like the silver lining of this because the rest is really hard to watch, but mm -hmm. like the costumes are great. And like some of the scenes are interesting to look at if you take them out of context and then others are not. Well, I, I mean, I will say that the cinematography, I think, is good. Like, yeah, it's, there's some beautiful shots. I, I have questions about what they're being asked to shoot. But like the I think when <laughs> they were like, make it look good, like light it well and shoot it well, it looks fantastic. And so I have to I assume know, the DP did a good job. Yeah. Uh, I don't <laughs> like, know that the director gave. I think that the DP rose to the occasion and, yeah. you know, the cinematographer and all that. Um, that they all no, rose to the occasion. There are moments, and and I think if you watch the trailer for this movie, like there's moments that you can pull that just if you don't pay attention to anything else and you just look at them, look fantastic. Like, well, yeah, yeah. If if there's one thing that this movie gets right about Marilyn Monroe is like I think that the movie camera loves Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe in a very similar way to the way the camera loved Marilyn Monroe when she was on stage and getting photographed by paparazzi and all that stuff um at the same time like it's torturing her the whole time too so i don't know what that says about andrew dominic uh but it's you know it, the, the, there are some really well constructed shots and there are some really well done just moments and scenes and images uh and then there's weird cut twos of close-ups on flower stems mm -hmm. so you know not to mention, you know, almost, you know, 37 week long fetuses. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a wild ride, blonde. It, it is, but not in a fun way, but just, no. you know, yeah. Um, if I can, like, this is a, a slight diversion, but I'm going to count it as a silver lining because I get to say this sentence, which I always look for excuses to do. This made me want to rewatch the film Birds of Prey, which is fantastic and criminally underseen because the scene <laughs> where Margot Robbie recreates Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, and that is great. And Kathy Ann absolutely nailed it. And I just want to sneak that in. So I count that as a silver lining. I, 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 I'm going to have to go watch that. It's great. Yeah. Birds of Prey is a lot of fun. And it's uh, from a design perspective, too. It's It's really like... That movie is maligned enough for Joel and I to talk about on this podcast, but we might love it too much to talk yeah. about. Yeah, <laughs> objective podcast. when it comes to that movie. Yeah. Um. No, that like yeah. This don't watch this movie, please. Is my advice to you, yeah. the audience. Yeah. Honestly, you know where this movie belongs <laughs> is like this movie. If it came out at like the peak of Tumblr when Lana Del Rey's music was like one year, like it, you know, and like I say this to somebody who has a very complicated mostly love sometimes hate relationship with lana del rey and her music don't but we like, all <laughs> right but like this is something where it's like if you didn't have to hear any of it and just had to see some like gifs uh, set to like you know paradise video games. <laughs> to video games like like you'd be like fuck yeah i'm really feeling this and like that's that's where this belongs is like on 
whatever. And then now this makes me want to plug another podcast, which is Jamie Loftus's uh, Lolita podcast, which has a really good Lana Del Rey episode. I don't know if that's uh, unallowed on the podcast. Oh, no, it's encouraged. But, okay. We love our fellow um, podcasters out there yes. in the podcast verse. But I mean, it like it could have it has moments of being pretty. And I I stand by that I think the costume design is like an unbelievable achievement. Um, and I think one that like like has the potential, as you said, to like really get some support and love in award season. But also I could see it being overlooked because I think people undervalue how hard it is to replicate something so loved and do it in a way that both act, like is accurate when it needs to be really accurate and evocative but inaccurate when it needs to be evocative but inaccurate and i think it's like kind of the only like this entire movie should have been striving to do that and i think the costumes are the only place that succeed yeah Yeah. and and i think that's one of those things too that i i love that you touched on how that can be used in a storytelling way which i think it does really well And, and that's what i always find myself anytime if there was a feature at just on the costumes for this movie, I would 100% watch it because anytime you watch anything like that, you realize like whatever this movie is, however it turned out, this person cared so much and is doing their job perfectly. And it is unfortunately only one part of a larger thing that they have no control over. But yeah, I absolutely agree that that is the one area that they hit it out of the park. Uh, absolutely. So I yeah, think and- that. I think we did it. I think we did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate it. Like, I got to read some really nice stuff about nice. I don't know if it's nice, but interesting stuff about like her life was really fucking fascinating. And it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and the movies are good. I would say that's my biggest recommendation. If you're listening to this and you care about Marilyn Monroe, like, just go watch. Her if you movies. haven't seen Seven Year Itch and Some Like It Hot and yeah. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and Niagara and all of those, go watch them. You know what I want to add here? Yeah. Is that it's really interesting because you see, and this is common, I think, in like a lot of all throughout time uh, in terms of the history of Hollywood, actors who start off as comedic actors who are so desperate to be taken seriously enough to do a drama. And I understand that just in terms of sort of like being a creative person who wants to like broaden their range. But. It is so much harder to do comedy than it is to do drama. Yeah. And she was truly, I mean, I was just watching some of uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes earlier. And like, I love Jane Russell as well. And is sort of like, she's her own fascinating, super Christian (laughs) figure. Um, And like a fierce protector and defender of Marilyn. And, And one of the few women and female contemporaries who is sort of like on the record repeatedly speaking about her. And I think that's really interesting to hear. Um, but like, if you watch gentlemen for prefer blondes, like, Marilyn is just so much funnier than Jane and not just cause she's getting the funnier roles. Like she's funny. Yeah. And you have to be smart to like, oh, I don't, we're going to go back down. I'm going to do the whole podcast over because I'm frustrated. Yeah. She's, she seems so smart. Well, and it's, it's the thing. It's, it's a lot like Dolly Parton where it's like to lean into that persona and to be that charming and to be able to do the sort of uh, jokes that like are acknowledging how you viewed- a lot to look this cheap. Yeah. What a great Dolly Parton line. But Ugh. it's also, yeah, like that's a hard li- Like you have to be clever to come up with that, like, and to deliver it in a way that seems effortless. And yeah, I think that is the, the biggest secret in Hollywood is that it's always harder to do comedy than drama. And you can always see that because comedic actors always have an easier time transitioning into dramas you can look at bob odenkirk or like anyone vince gilligan uses like effortlessly do drama but when serious people try to do comedy it is often there's, painful there's leslie nielsen watch. and that's it yeah that's the one time it worked out with leslie <laughs> nielsen <laughs> all right uh, but I, well, I think anyways, we did it yeah yes <laughs> sophie thank you so much for doing this this has been a tremendous time if people want to find you how do they do that um they can find me on instagram at sophie strauss styling or on my website which is www.sophiestraussstyling.com 
And let's There's just, as many S's as you think there are in that there name. There are <laughs> as many S's. You'll, you'll, it's sort of like Mississippi where you're like, wait, what? And then you're like, no, that's right. And also, you are a great follow on Instagram. Everyone should Thank follow you. you. Like, it's yeah, a really absolutely. fun uh, site. You have a lot of different videos and styling tips and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's it's very well done and people should Thank follow you. it. Yeah. And this is from two middle-aged white men. So, yes. you know, yes. it's, it's it's something Which, that you can count on. By what? the way, I work with everybody. I have yeah. a lot of dudes who uh, I'm going to say this with a lot of love. And I hope that this doesn't get taken the wrong way. But I have a lot of like dude clients who are the kind of people who like for a regular Zoom have like a headset with a mouthpiece. The, the, like that kind of dude. Yeah. Yeah. The, those are like, I have clients like that and I have a fucking great time figuring out like a great way for them to dress and feel good and feel like their best selves. Like there's n- nobody, nobody is not the right kind of person to, you know, work with me. So if you want to, yeah. Your stylist for regular like. people. I'm yeah. a stylist for regular people. That's regular people, right? So yeah. And and Andy and I end up we pitch a lot of um, movie ideas on this podcast, and the, eventually the plan is to to get them all made. Especially Jason goes to court, and when we do, and when uh, award season happens, we are both going to hit you up to yeah, actually dress for the rest of us. Yeah, yeah. You'll yeah. both be in the seven year itch dress. Amazing. Oh, Together, like one giant one that we're one both in. One big dress. Each of you is one boob. Love it. I, <laughs> I hope there's a lot of greats around us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All greats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead, Instead of a red, of a red carpet, carpet, it's, it's just a... Su- yes. See? See? Ooh. <laughs> we're already... It's already happening. We're already, we're already doing it. We're already <laughs> in sync with this. I'm in. You'll know where to find me. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. This Thank is great. Thank you, guys. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's a podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We We have have to to ask. ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peaksloth Network at peaksloth.com. Peaksloth.